Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. Alongside Brian Cristiano, I'm Rob Cressy. So Brian, we just had a conversation with Jonathan Kane, founder of City Coach, about endurance sports and the brand surrounding it. It was an awesome conversation. I've known John for many, many years. A really great guy. Super, super smart business person. But I think the most interesting takeaway for me is the conversation we had with him about Nike trying to break the two-hour marathon this year and what the balance between um, the controversy around sports is as to is it just a marketing ploy. I'd like to welcome Jonathan Kane, founder of City Coach to the Sports Marketing Huddle. Welcome, Jonathan. So much. How are you, man? Well, first, before we uh, before we jump into business here, I do have to disclose that John and I have known each other for a long time. He actually officiated my wedding, so um, he's he's more than a founder of a successful running and coaching company here in the Northeast. He, uh, you know, also also officiates weddings. Yeah, full service, full service coaching. <laughs> Love it. Well, thanks for so, coming on, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Jonathan, one thing that I love about the running community, and I am a runner, though, not professional, just do it for fun, uh, was my wife, is the community that is built around running. Uh, I like to say that we run for the post-race beers. So can you tell me the brands that are struggling versus the ones who are doing a great job? I have to imagine the community that they've built is a large part of that. What's the difference between the ones who are doing it good and the ones who are not? Well, I, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, look, I've been at this for a while now. I've been coaching endurance athletes for almost, almost 30 years, I suppose. And, you know, when I started, I, I, you know, I worked with Nike from 2002 through about 2014 or so. And we started a running program that's now sort of become what's, what's known as Run NYC. Um, and when we started that in 2002, Runners either ran on their own or with a couple of friends or they were part of a team and, it, you know, they were fast and these were post-collegiate athletes and they were, but it was a real structured kind of thing. And it was, the teams were for the fast kids. And over the last decade and change, there's been this shift towards more community-based stuff. And you see, you know, Nike has certainly been at the front of that. And, you know, it, now you have groups of hundred, hundred plus runners going to the track not necessarily with the idea of I'm going to go win a race, but I, I'm going to be out there with some friends. I'm going to have a coach out there with me. Um, it's building a community. You have groups like uh, Bridge Runners and Harlem Run and those you know, that you sometimes hear referred to as the urban running crews. Again, aren't necessarily quite as goal-oriented in terms of performance, but they are building a community. They're getting people out there. So as a health professional, I love anything that's going to be, bring people in there. And you know, to go to your point about... The branding, yes, you're seeing, again, a decade ago, maybe even less than that, yeah, the brands were getting behind fast kids only. That was all, all they cared about was, oh, you're winning a race, we'll sponsor you. We'll put a swoosh across your chest because you're going to break the tape. And now it's the brands are getting associated with a, a much broader range of, of people and building that community. And even if they're not fast, if, they're, if they have a social media following, if they have a presence – 
that's helping that that's helping the, the the brand and the brand is helping them. It's interesting because in and we've talked about this before where there's there are some people who are quote influencers who you know wouldn't even be in the top 10,000 in the New York City Marathon yeah. who actually probably make more in sponsorship money than some of the people in the top 100 of the New York City Marathon but because oh. it's just based on that community and their following. Absolutely. Look, I mean I, the example I always use, look, Lopez Lamont was a flag bearer for the United States Olympic team. He was a lost boy of the Sudan. He, you know, he was a refugee, came here as a child. He held an American record. And guess what? He's got a handful of Twitter followers. Um, and his book sold a couple of copies. One of the most amazing stories you will ever read. Um, you look at the cover of Runner's World magazine. It might be an elite runner, but more likely than not, it's a model who runs a little bit. Um, you open it up, and yeah, there's going to be it's stories about a celebrity. Oprah's been on the cover more than a world record holder's been on the cover. Um, whereas in other sports, I mean, you pick up an, an issue of Slam magazine, there's an NBA player on the cover. Right. There isn't some guy with his team, you know, with with his his company team on the cover. It's elites. Whereas the running world, yes, it's it's a it's a different world now. It is. It's very interesting how that's changed and. One of the topics that we want to talk about going away from the you know general community back to the elite stuff is Nike is doing what is, what is the campaign called? They're break, breaking two. Breaking two. Yeah. Breaking two. So they are training some athletes to try to break the two hour record in the marathon, which is insane in and of itself. I, I'm curious. We're curious on a few levels. Let's start. Let's start with the, the with the physiology behind it. A is it is it possible? My. Best. It's fine. I was asked this a couple of years ago um, on a show, and my response was, I will not see it in my lifetime. And I'm not that old, and I'm relatively healthy, so I plan on being around for a while, but I don't think I will ever see it. Um, not, not under normal conditions. I think even if you took, the, if you made the perfect athlete who had the highest VO2 max, the highest threshold you know, relative to his max, the best running economy, so they were the most efficient and used the, less, the least oxygen at any speed, um, and you put them under the perfect race conditions, you know, perfect temperature, perfect humidity, everything. I still, everything I've seen, you still come up short. So, Jonathan, can you put this into layman's terms? How does this compare to trying to do the four-minute mile when that wasn't broken yet in terms of how far off all those two are so that we can understand it if we're not elite runners? People were, were closer you know, at a certain point when Roger Bannister, who, who finally broke it, when he got there, um, percentage-wise, he was closer. He had run for a one and change. People were, were closer um, – to that magical number than anyone is, you know, to, to the magical two hour mark. I mean, the, the record is still at two Oh two fifty seven, Um, so almost three full minutes away. Um, so six plus seconds a mile that that's a, you know, so yeah, you'd have to get six plus seconds per mile faster. Whereas yeah, that four minute mile folks were, were around four Oh one, four Oh two, um, you know, before, before Roger Bannister finally beat it. The interesting thing about all this to me, talking about it from the branding side, is this is clearly a marketing tactic. And nothing against that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, it's what we do all day. It's, it's creating a story. It's getting people to follow. We're talking about it. That's, you know, fascinating, interesting in and of itself. Is that all this is? Like, do, is this just marketing to get some headlines because they were the first ones to think about making this a headline? Or is this legitimate? 
I, I think it's a little of both, but I, I think it's more a matter. I, I think from Nike's perspective, and, and far be it for me to speak for them, but but I, I think if you put a gun to their head um, when they came up with this, this idea and said, will someone actually, during this Breaking 2 project, will someone break the record in 2017? Will, will someone break two hours? I think they would have said no. And I think someone then said, okay, well, it's still a viable marketing tool. Um, now, again, that's your world, not mine. But to me, yeah, look, I, I think they've already gotten enough publicity off of it. You know, it, it's, it's in all the magazines. It's on all the blogs. It's on all the message boards. There's a lot of buzz around it. And, you know, my best guess is, no, I, I don't think it will happen under normal circumstances. Now, the, 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 the thing that's come up a lot and that Nike has been very evasive about is, what, under what conditions are, is this record attempt, is this two-hour attempt going to come? I, I would say I'm, uh, I, I'm very confident that no one's going to break two hours in the year 2017 in normal race conditions. So a, a, a race that's eligible for world record, um, mass art, regular race, I don't think it will happen. Now, they haven't said that that's how they're going to do it. So could they do it on a point-to-point -point course with a net downhill, with a tailwind, with multiple pacers jumping in and running alongside? Um, you know, so whereas in a normal race, you, you can have a rabbit, but once that rabbit drops out, you're done. If you're trying to break two hours, what's to say you can't have a rabbit jump in every five kilometers, a different pace setter? What's to say you can't have them draft behind a flatbed truck and save a, a little bit of energy? Um, so I think that, you know, and that's where I think the possibility of the sub two actually exists in mm. 2017. I don't think there's any real chance that it happens in a real race. Mm. Um, but if we want to get to the sort of Harlem Globetrotters, you know, kind of sense of things, then I think there's a chance it could happen. All right. I mean, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm curious whether it happens legitimately at, at like a real world record setting course under real conditions or it happens behind a flatbed truck on a downhill, or it doesn't happen at all in 2017, does that impact Nike at all? Does anyone care? Um, I, well, like I said, I think to a large extent, they, they've gotten the buzz that they want, and they'll get the buzz even around the start. So unless these guys fail miserably, um, I think it probably doesn't matter that much. And I think also, look, the, it, you know, again, I'm going into your world, but from a marketing point of view, okay, the record's 202.57. Let's say Tedesi or DeCiso or one of these guys who, who's going to go for the, the, the sub two hour. Let's say he runs 201 and change. He still bests the existing world record. He doesn't break two hours. I, I would imagine that's not too hard to spin that into a real positive. Right. Um, so, and you know what? And then look, obviously, the, the, the variable that we haven't discussed, you know, again, I'm talking about the physiological things, I'm talking about the conditions of the course. There's no doubt in my mind that Nike or anyone, any brand with a brain in their head is also going to have them in shoe X and try and make that as part of it. They're not going to be in a shoe. I, I'm sure that, that none of these three guys are going to go for that record attempt or that sub two in a shoe that you could have bought two or three years ago. Right. It's going to be something new and they're going to and and Nike will try and attribute all or some of that improvement to the shoe itself. So, Jonathan, if someone were to take a page from Rocky Four and go all Ivan Drago oh, gotcha, gotcha. and was, make them just 
juiced up and said, you know what? We don't care what it takes to get this. All we want to do is see someone break two and sure you're not going to be publicly showing Drago on a treadmill with IVs hooked up to him them. But how much does potential controversy or negative backlash, let's assume someone was juicing and doing this and does break the record there. Is that still good for Nike or whoever does do it? You know, Look, I'm such, I, I have such a strong anti-doping stance personally and professionally, uh, and you know, it, it bothers me so much that I'd love to say, oh, no, absolutely, that would invalidate everything. Um, but, and Nike has clearly distanced themselves from some athletes in the past who have been busted or even when there's been uh, you know, a chance. But they've also, look, they, they re-signed Justin Gatlin after a couple of suspensions because he was going to the Olympics. And if he had won a gold medal in Brazil, I have no doubt they'd have paraded him around and taken full advantage of that. So I, I don't think Nike would be, as you said, they're, they're not going to you know, show you the process. But again, in an unsanctioned event without, do, with, without doping controls, um, there's going to be that much more suspicion. Um, but yeah, you know what? My best guess is if, someone runs 159, 59.9 and hasn't been drug tested, I don't think Nike's going to care. Right, right. I mean, that's the interesting thing about, well, all sports, but endurance sports obviously gets a lot of bad rap for some of the cycling sure. stuff. And endurance sports as a whole, it's really started to come to light that there's been a lot of problems. And, and Nike has had its problem with problem with athletes who have been doping. And, you know, there's controversy around Salazar and, you know, coaching and so forth. And, you know, it's not necessarily a Nike problem. It might be a sports problem or an athlete problem or whatever it is. Um, but the bigger question is, you know, I guess, is, is controversy ultimately at the end of the day? It's bad for the athletes that end up getting caught and then getting kicked out of the sport. It's bad for the athletes who are clean, who are trying to, you know, to compete, of course. So for the sport itself, it's a bad thing. But for the brands that are paying hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars to be involved in these sports, regardless of what logo we're putting on it, mm -hmm. does it hurt them at all? Do they benefit from this and just kind of like when it happens, oops, sorry, we're, we didn't I, I, know? yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and again, you guys are far more savvy about this than I am. But yeah, I think there is that that phenomenon. Well, look, let, let's take the most prominent one, Lance Armstrong. They, I mean, Nike, and I'm not trying to pick on Nike here in particular, but, you know, Nike was 100% behind Lance Armstrong. I mean, he was huge. He was, you know, I would do events with him. People would stop him on the street. He was, he was a huge moneymaker for them. And they stood behind him, stood behind him, stood behind him. And then when it got all the way to the end of the process, they said, okay, we're done with him. So what? They ate a little bit of Livestrong you know, inventory. That's not the extent of it. But they milked it for all it, it was worth. Right. Or they, they got all the juice out of it. I mean, yeah. They, they, they got everything they could out of him. And, and yeah, they, they, they made money on it. I, I don't see how they can, behind closed doors, look at that relationship that they had with him as a negative. Or Marion Jones. Or like I said, they went mm -hmm. back for Justin Gatlin. So um, they've never shied away from controversy and there are lots of other brands as well. So no, I, 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 I personally, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's bad for the sport yeah. and I think it's really bad for the clean athlete. Um, but no, I, I don't think, you know, I, it, it, my best guess again, if, if you told Nike, Hey, yeah, we're going to get someone who's going to run one fifty nine fifty nine, but 
and we're not going to drug test, so there'll be no, you know, it'll be a moot point. But six months later, he's going to go do a race, and he's going to test positive. I think Matthew will go, yes. Yeah, so, so what? That's mm-hmm. great. Right. We, we got our breaking too. We got our publicity. We got our magazines. We got. The, I don't think they care. Do you think that that might be part of the problem is that there's so much money from the marketing and brand side? And again, not not singling out any single individual brand, but as a whole, that there's so much money on that side that the that they're the ones with the money that are helping to kind of perpetuate this and so looking the other way and saying, look, like if it happens, it doesn't there's more upside for us than worrying about it on the downside. Do you think that that might well, be part absolutely. of the issue? I, I think that's part of the issue with, with with endurance sports, as you mentioned, with cycling, with running. But I think that's that's the case in most sports. I mean. Look, the Seattle Seahawks, you know, when they won the Super Bowl, when, when they played against the Patriots, they had more doping violations. They had more, more guys on their team who had been busted for doping than any other team in the league. Yet people referred to the Patriots as cheaters because of the, because of the Spygate stuff. Right. So it rolls off. It, it, people forget, forget about it. One last question before we sign off here. I'm just curious. Hit me. For, for, the, for the brands that, you know, that aren't that big, that are involved in doping scales, have the money to, to, to you know, move that weight around, for brands that are involved or want to be involved in endurance sports, um, what, what's the best tip for them to get involved with the community, with the local community? Well, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, to, to give you a sort of wishy-washy answer, I think it depends on what they want to do. Again, are they going old school? Do they want to get, you know, are they trying to market their brand as, as winners, as people who are going to, you know, as elites who are going to cross the line, then yeah, you know what, you you involve yourself with those people. You recruit a couple of, of whatever level. You recruit a couple of the fastest guys in New York, the fastest women in New York. You get your brand associated with them. You get them as ambassadors. You get them, give that, get some input from them. On the other hand, as again, as we've discussed before, there's a heck of a lot more people running in the middle of the pack. So yeah, you get you get involved with those people. Jonathan. Thank you a ton for giving us the insight. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the Sports Marketing Huddle. Thank you both so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. We'll stay in touch, John, and uh, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye out and see if the uh, two-hour marathon uh, record is ever actually broken. We'll be watching. Thanks.